0: Emerald Podcast Series,
1: research that makes a difference.
0: Hello, welcome to the Emerald Podcast Series. My name is Thomas and my guest today is Dr. Ellen ernst Kossack, a leading US social scientist and thought leader on work, family and employment issues. She studies how people, managers, and organizations can improve workplace cultures and the effectiveness of work-family policies to foster well-being, at work, and home. She is the Basil S. Turner Distinguished Professor at Purdue University's Mitchell E. Daniels Junior School of Business and the co-author of Work-Life Flexibility Policies, Moving from Traditional Views Towards Work-Life Intersectionality Considerations, along with Brenda A. Lauch, Matthew P. Perugino, Jeffrey H. Greenhouse and Torini J. Merriweather. The article is available open access from Emerald. Okay, thank you very, very much for joining me. Uh, You wrote a very, very interesting uh, article on work life flexibility. So, to start with a more difficult question what is work life? And maybe what is work life flexibility?
1: work-life is the uh, relationship between your work roles and your personal life or non-work roles. And yes, work is part of life, uh, but as we saw during the pandemic, uh, increasingly uh, they may feel like one if you're teleworking at home, and teleworking is one form of flexibility. And I think uh, one of the hard things now with the digitalization of work, and I recently gave a talk at the Uh, a digitization of work and life center at University of Sussex that uh, people are really trying to manage uh, boundaries between work and home. So flexibility, originally work-life flexibility was thought of as things like flex time, uh, telework, part-time work, working for 10-hour days instead of five days a week and they were thought of as alternative work arrangement policies. They started uh, with, in some cases, where women wanted to work a reduced load or have flex time to care for children, but it's been used by workers in all different occupations. Uh, we see in hospitals such as NHS in the UK, doctors wanting to work three 12-hour uh, <laughs> shifts, and and uh, so it's, it's really grown as a uh, alternative uh, way of working and really the new normal is working alternatively. Everybody's working a customized work shift and one of the things we did with the article that we did for Emerald which is on moving uh, from traditional approaches on work-life flexibility to intersectional approaches is we also link the idea of permeability or when you're connected to work or non-work as another form of work-life flexibility. In the traditional literature, they kind of, uh, the the people who study virtual work and remote work are in one camp and they're looking at how you're using email texts, which devices you're using, are you distributed globally, across borders, how connected are you constantly to a device for communications? And they kept that separate from these other flexibility forms but really we're increasingly using multiple forms of flexibility at one time and our smartphones and the ability uh, to work anywhere, anytime. Even if you are a f- frontline worker who works face to face, you likely have a smartphone on you or near you or your employer makes you manage it to lock it up when you come in to work as I learned studying retail workers. So uh, I really look at these as all forms of flexibility and how you really, to simply put, Work-life flexibility is how you're using, in this case, policies from your employer to or or the government. Right in the UK, you have the right to request a flexible schedule. How you're using flexibility to manage the boundaries of your work role.
0: And you mentioned the boundaries there. The article goes into a number of different types of boundaries. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about that?
1: Yes. So boundaries... um, you know, it used to be pretty clear when you were at work or at home because you, you would travel and go work at an office where everybody worked on site or all work in a manufacturing plant or a hospital. But now they're increasingly parts of our jobs or whole jobs that are done remotely or there's negotiation over even work schedules and the hours of work so i know in the uk there are quite a lot of strikes because they one way that they're managing in some cases transportation is they're understaffing uh, not having extra people so people have forced overtime well that would be an example of a boundary of your schedule that's expanded so in another article published in the journal of management with some of the co-authors on this article matthew perugino at City University of New York, and Brenda Lauch, a a dean at Simon Fraser University in Canada, we thought about a way to think about boundaries holistically, because a lot of the literature is fragmented. So flex time could be thought of as boundaries over the timing of your work, setting limits about when I'm available for work or not. And the uh, idea of part-time work be boundaries over the size or the amount of your work role, you wanna reduce your hours, for example. Telework, remote work, or boundaries over location of your work. Are you able to do it in multiple places? And then i mentioned the idea of permeability. What is the boundaries of when you're expected to be connected to work? There are lots of jobs like social workers, doctors, people on call for IT, and even when they're at home, they may have trouble setting work off or returning work off and the boundaries could go another way too can your family contact you at work to let you know that uh, there was a problem at school today and they're coming home early so this is a contested terrain increasingly between employees and employers on how to manage the boundaries of our work in relation to other parts of our lives
0: it's really really interesting and it's an area that i understand has been changing quite rapidly over the last few years
1: Yes. And I think the pandemic brought it to a head, made it very transparent that there was an inequality in people's access to work-life flexibility. So our grocery workers, our police, our healthcare workers could not stay at home during the pandemic. They had to go on site, putting themselves at risk and their families for perhaps getting sick or even dying. And then we had people at home that if they were professionals or admins and able to do some or all of their job at home. But uh, as you know, in London, in big cities, there's small apartments. So some people, you know, we're bringing our entire offices to home. That was stressful for family and friends. And then when you have uh, domestic labor where kids were, children were home from school and uh, people were then expected to take care of their kids and infant or, Managed school while doing their full-time jobs. That did have some gender disparities, where I, I did a study of women in STEM in the in the U.S. on uh, nearly a thousand, and it kind of pushed a lot of STEM women to they wanted to work. Right, the narrative was women dropped out. Many people and dads too, uh, and uh, people with elder care wanted to work, but they ended up doing two jobs at once. Work intensification and it generally burnt people out it uh, we're still seeing some remnants of children being behind in school and people now questioning their relationship to work and how central work should be in their lives and i do think it's a little better in the uk than the us and that you do have now growing number of policies like the right to request a flexible schedule where even though there might be a stigma to using it if you're in a high-powered job you at least have a a permission to ask and I think that is another trend where you have government trying to set up norms where workers or, or legislation where workers can ask for flexibility regardless of the reason. Let's not get into whether it's for you to go to the Exercise, because it makes your mental health better, which is a growing trend uh, that we're dealing with, that people are, are facing more and more mental health challenges or caring for people, for child care, for elder care, for your pet, to shorten your commute, so you only have to pay to go into work three times a week. Let's focus more on the work to be done and and not care about where it is. Work is something you do, not a place you go. And let's also try and help people to work longer, or be able to have variability in their career to stay in the labor force because our industrialized countries are gonna have huge bankruptcy problems as social service programs become bankrupt because not as enough young people are working to pay for public uh, sector pensions and things like that. I'm not co- interested in the flexibility where people have lack of job security, gig workers, they don't get benefits. We're focusing in this talk about work-life flexibility that helps people manage the relationship between work and non-work roles.
0: So we're looking for some stability in people's lives.
1: Stability and not be so one-sided that the employer says, here's the deal, you only do it. Nor the employees can say, oh, I'll only do this. I mean, you got to work on a team. You can't make it so hard for your boss to <laughs> find you or your customers. And so I do think it has added a layer of complexity where some people are not able to regulate you know their attention and and be focused when they're at work or if they're working at home and the same for employers i've done some research where i've come up with a respecting time off scale because i think uh people are constantly negotiating you know can i take do i have to take this call on my vacation or it's friday night at 6 p.m i'm really looking forward to taking a break over the weekend yet yeah, we all know that we've seen people answer emails and texts that are work colleagues at night or over the weekend and once again if you are a single parent or you you know have friends and want to connect with them social uh connections are very important you would like to have the flexibility to at least take a a call a text at work or a call from your doctor uh and you know there's certain jobs where we're privileged, where, people can do that. I can get an email anytime for or text, but other jobs, people don't set their own schedule. So I think work-life scheduling, staffing, uh, this is how much work people work, people's work hours, uh, whether you could work remotely from an island in the Pacific if you met the hours in London. Everything is uh, up for negotiation. And I see some employers, I just came from a conference out in, east coast at Rutgers on women and uh, hybrid work some employers are embracing flexibility in all these forms they are uh, there and some of them are pulling back and say oh if we could only go back to the way it was before the pandemic and, reg- and saying if you want your job you have to come in all the time or we have inflexible flexibility where you can you know uh, have flexibility but only a, a, you know, one day a week well maybe that's not the day that you're you know parent teacher conferences at school how does that help you for your child
0: and you mentioned also the the inequalities. So there's gender inequality there's also age education industry there's a range of inequalities that exist today in flexible working
1: yes and in the article i did for emerald the chapter that uh, you know we just published we've think that there's this need to move toward intersectional approaches. And what do we mean by that? Well, intersectionality you know, has been used traditionally uh, with gender and race. And here we think intersectionality also might be uh, the chance that you might be stigmatized for using flexibility or be based on your family status, gender, race, and also you might have less access because to flexi- work-life flexibility. A lot of the reports show that people of color and women are tend to be clustered in the lower levels of the organization and lower-paid jobs. Those jobs tend to have less access to flexibility. And as you become a professional and move on up, even if you're the supervisor of that airplane plant, you might be able to have more of a say of your hours or have someone to back you up. You know the. Uh, hospital attendant that's caring for you and that uh, you know has to be there all the time and may have less of a say over their schedule and sometimes attendance policies are set up that if you miss work too much you get fired so we need to have a way for people to really have flexibility we need to be flexible on flexibility.
0: (laughs) What are some creative approaches that companies have been able to use?
1: Well for the manufacturing as I mentioned one is through staffing levels to have an extra staffing person that can cover multiple jobs because that builds in flexibility into your system. Another would be uh, the idea of allowing workers to help manage their own schedule through sanctioned shift trades. Now I've studied nursing homes and there you have a patient acuity needs where you have to people certain types of training for the sickness of the client, the patient. So I can't just trade with you if I'm like trained in only one aspect of care, maybe basic care, but not something for somebody with more severe illness. So we also need to have literacy of to train the workers on how to self-manage flexibility and trade off shifts. But I do think that will ultimately increase skill levels and flexibility of the organization. So that would be something to do with for frontline jobs, uh, you can also uh, give people more uh, paid sick leave and as have, have replacement workers, it does get expensive. But for example, we hire a lot of nurses and doctors now. there are gonna be shortages, but we hire people and pay a per diem because hiring levels are sometimes linked to the patient occupancy rates and hospitals and things. Now for people like uh, who are professionals that could work on a laptop anywhere, they are sort of the digital privileged class. But the thing that is challenging there is some people don't know how to telework well <laughs> at home. So one thing I learned early on was IBM once did a study that if you had a separate space for where you did your work, that was a really good way to set boundaries, even within your home. Have a set routine for your physical, mental, and psychological boundaries. The other thing is... uh we need to have some way that we don't burn people out and make them feel they have to choose between their having a family, getting married, having a relationship in their personal life. The real challenge for many organizations is they saw work-life flexibility as just a benefit for working mothers or when people made an individual, what's called an ideal, an idiosyncratic deal with their boss. And we really need to mainstream this and say, here are the rules for how you can manage it with some parameters uh northern trust which is in london i studied their groups in chicago and they were paying so much money for expensive downtown office space And that's one thing that companies are trying to support they sign these long-term contracts for real estate but at northern trust they migrated whole teams they looked at the job and said can this job be done off-site and if it was the the team would migrate together so then you're not the only one working differently and they set it up so that if you you'd have to come into the office at your choice a day a week minimum and then you'd have you'd have to work at home you had to have backup electricity if something went out Your computer was a soft uh, telephone, so people knew how to call you, because I know I feel crazy calling people at home. So you got to come up with new norms for work groups and teams, and don't put it just all on the manager to manage. Can I have Tuesday off? Teams now have to be managing these flexibility, and that, that takes more work
0: absolutely but I'm very interested so you're saying it sounds like initially the idea of flexible working was being pioneered by women in the workplace
1: I think I think so I mean there are probably other industries you can look at like the Tavistock coal miners I believe was in the UK they experimented with socio-technical systems and I think they went to through teams you know some alternative work hours or um, you know shorter work weeks Uh, so but Uh, It really started out as this idea of an accommodation and you were more likely to give it to your best employees, right? What's hard is giving flexibility, more mainstreaming it to everyone. And then, so I, in this Harvard Business Review article I published called The Future of Flexibility, uh, I think it was published in 2022 and I mentioned it was picked as a best top 10 article for HBR must read for 2023 in a reprint book we start out with this sort of accommodation, mother may I use flexibility and you'd say, oh, I don't want Sally to leave the workforce after her first baby, We'll, we'll make a deal, let's make a deal. And that's okay, but it's a special deal and people are like, well, Sally's not really gonna be executive level. And Mary, who is not quite as good a worker than Sally, but is solid, we're not gonna give it to her. So it was really not very equal. And then we saw during the mobile workforce stage for like the IBMs, the Accentures, the Deloitte's, the PricewaterhouseCoopers, they went to a remote uh, sales and professional workforce as a way to save on office space and have employees travel all over and work with the customer out of their homes. And that was actually more male. a lot of that. Um, And they really learned how to do it. And I can say professors have had hybrid work for quite a while. They teach and do their jobs so people would work at home. But then we saw during the pandemic uh, or even before the pandemic, some people would maybe work long hours because of their identity. Their professional identities are linked so much to their jobs as a way to keep flexibility, right? I want my boss to think I'm motivated. So that led to overwork cultures, long hour cultures, And then we saw during the pandemic people were forced flexibility, which I don't call work life flexibility, working out of their home. Uh, people were somewhat depressed because they were online all the time, trying to do two jobs. I gave some talks to some corporations and one there was a story of one woman saying the first day they were sent home after the pandemic, her autistic job was having a meltdown and her boss kept texting her and calling her and she's like look I, I can't do it now and so we had to disclose things to our bosses about ourselves there's electronic monitoring going on sometimes into our homes their privacy issues maybe you don't want to see that I have a poster of a political person on my back wall or what religion I am or what the ethnicity of my husband or children are so I do think we were kind of in a new frontier of new rules. I do think it could also, though, if implemented in a way that doesn't stigmatize people, which was one of the ideas that we had in this article about flexibility, that there is more risk for certain groups to use flexibility. It could lead to many people with disabilities, mental health concerns, uh, could provide a lifeline for people to work longer and be in the workforce if they can work from home or have the reduced hours uh, and self-manage it. And I'm worried post-pandemic that uh, some employers will say, this is too much work to manage. Let's go back to everybody works the same hours the same way.
0: It's interesting. One of the traditional problems with, say, work from home was that work not seen is not always valued, right? So there's the, the element of trust
1: Exactly, Thomas. And that is one challenge. Uh, Companies have not invested into training managers and employees how to manage performance. It depends on the nature of the work. And that's really wonderful question. Not all companies have thought about is how to embed flexibility, work-life flexibility into how they manage performance, how they select people, how teams work, client expectations, Uh, how we reap the benefits of flexibility. It's saving companies an awful lot of money when people are working out of their homes. We wouldn't let people bring all their kids to work. That would be save money on childcare. It's not really fair.
0: I have worked for a company where they question, could we just have a crash? Well, Why not? Why not?
1: (laughs) Using that with flexibility is a way to attract and keep a younger workforce. You know, it doesn't even have to be brick and mortars. I would like to see companies band together and train more licensed family daycare providers and help subsidize the pay for our child and healthcare workers. Flexibility is not just to care for people, but there are an awful lot of caregivers that need it or and also self-care. And we need to put more into having a bigger supply of caregivers or you've got to give people more flexibility so if you put those two strategies together the governments and the companies that get it together to support this they're going to have the edge I mean women are half of our university students but they are not rising to the top of most of our organizations they are very underrepresented in uh, mid and senior levels particularly in many stem fields this is really a problem the, the, the one type of flexibility companies do the worst job at is uh, dealing with good part-time and reduced load work because they don't like to define what is a full-time load because exempt workers work as long as it takes and this might even be from the british you know work ethic protestant where you know staff work is never done you can always do more 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 and we we really do need to do a better job. And this is why unionization is rising in some places of saying what is good quality full-time work and then what is going above and beyond.
0: It is interesting what our nine to five, you know, Monday to Friday work week was set during the industrial revolution. Now with the information revolution, we're trying to come up with some kind of replacement.
1: Exactly. And these models... uh you know, adapting it to these different types of industries where you're working with people across different time zones. Um, In our HBR article, one of my colleagues who was originally from India looked at how industrialized societies get the prime hours for when people in call centers or in other Industries would be available. So, somebody's up in the middle of the night in India to answer a call center for a rental car in the US. So, you could also think about flexibility globally and how uh, powerful nations set the work hours of other (laughs) nations that might get into their work life flexibility uh, demand.
0: I am curious on one point. You did mention the importance of identity when people are choosing to work extra long hours and so on. Some people work is very much part of their identity. Like you ask them, what are you? And a lot of people just answer with their job.
1: Exactly. And I've came up with an assessment, a leadership assessment called Flex Styles. And it manages how you manage interruptions between work and non-work. It clusters that to your identity. And your identity, many people see themselves as more work-centric. Others see themselves as more family or non-work-centric. And that used to be the assumption that, If you were highly work-centric, you couldn't possibly be highly non-work-centric. Many people today are dual-centric, high in wanting to do well in their work role and their non-work role, and they see that they can't do both well. And so we're seeing people delay having children, delay getting partnered, because companies don't make it easy to be dual-centric anymore. You're all in all the time. And then the third aspect of the select style, so you have how you manage interruptions between domains, what's your cluster of your identity and then how how in control you are of your boundaries and that can be due to your job design that you don't have a lot of control because your employer is all the power it could also be due to your family design maybe you are a single mother maybe you have a partner that is not involved very much in caregiving so when problems happen you're the one that's always deals with that the babysitter doesn't show up maybe you're less wealthy so you're doing an hour and a half commute in london or wherever to get to your job these are all linked in some ways to your identity your wealth and your occupational status
0: it's very very interesting and as we come slowly towards the end of this interview could i ask how do you see this going forward you've seen some tremendous changes in the last few years do you see that carrying on into the next few years
1: Certainly, I think that there will be wide variation in how employers respond to employees growing interest and need for work-life flexibility, and how, when, and where they work, and how connectivity is managed over their life course. And I think there will be, you know, 20 to 30 percent might be high of employers that will embrace work-life flexibility whole hog or at least give a lot of more latitude to workers it'll be a middle hybrid work group that will say we'll give you some flexibility but you got to be in three or four days a week uh, you can't live three hours away from us and that but there might be other employers that say as long as you're willing to come in on your own nickel or or pound or whatever your currency is a few times a year you can live forever so there will be this fully remote group or fairly embrace remote group, there'll be a middle hybrid group. And then we're gonna go back to the traditionalists and say, you know, we set the hours, take it or leave it, you know, not very flexible at all. But given we're not giving lifelong job security to people anymore, work-life flexibility is something that could make the difference to keep people in your company and in your occupation. And those employees that look at it as part of talent management and how to leverage it for improving their work processes, I think will uh, have higher productivity and will have competitive edge uh, financially and increased longevity. So I didn't even mention about the 410 experiment that's going on in uh, England uh, down by Brighton, uh, where they're trying to see what happens there with 410 work weeks.
0: Four days a week, 10 hours.
1: Exactly. But I've been doing a lot of experiments, randomized control trials, where in some cases you have the new way of working done in one organization and you randomize and another organization does usual practice, doesn't get it. And you compare, just like when you compared the COVID vaccine, who got it, who didn't, to see what the productivity and social effects are. I think that's where we have to go is in improve the science of these, it's really a social science experiment, but the jury's still out on how to implement flexibility, uh, not just at the individual issue and org level, but but this multi-level interaction. And that's really where research needs to go as well as practice.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about our guest, And for a transcript of today's episode, please see our show notes on our website. I would like to thank Daniel Ridge for his help with today's episode, and Alex Jungius from This Is Distorted. You've been listening to the Emerald Podcast Series.